Welcome down to the North Star Community Podcast. I am one of your hosts, might we say. I'm Scott. I'm one of two pastors at North Star Community. And I'm Teresa, the other pastor at North Star Community. And we are here to bring you a podcast recap, which Yay. maybe I just said. Uh, but either Actually, way. it's a message recap recap in the form of a podcast, but yeah. who, who's, who's getting picky? Not I'm totally us. distracted by our faulty technology today, so my mind's not quite with us yet. But this is the second week uh, that we have been talking about First John. It's not something we do a lot at North Star. Uh, what, I, what I mean is walking through an individual book of the Bible a step at a time. We see our mission, I probably said this in the last podcast, uh, as trying to find something to say specifically to the recovery community each week. And I think that involves being selective with passages and uh, allowing yourself to jump around as you see fit. And so for that reason, we have not historically done a lot of just walking through a book start to finish, which would not be uncommon in a church setting. So it's a little it's a little out of character for us, but sometimes it's good to, to do something out of character. Well, I really enjoy it. And it reminds me of how much I personally love getting in one little book. And we picked a little one. You yeah. Know. We, we didn't go all ambitious on ourselves, right? Um, we picked a small one. And uh, I have really enjoyed my own personal deep dive study into it. So, yay. That's good. It's been fun. All right. Well, this was your message. This was my message. And I really, I don't know how anybody else thought about it, but I really enjoyed the final product of it because it seemed to me that it might be a really helpful message to people. So I hope the podcast can also communicate that. Well, I thought it was a really good message. And I thought, and so I just want to say that it was a really good message, period. But in addition, it was a really good message under the circumstances. It wasn't a... So I wanted to say the first part. I wanted to just say it's a really good message. And then, you know, for the Sunday edition of this message, this was a particularly hard time for you to have to stand up in front of a bunch of people. I had forgotten that. That was the day my brother died. Yeah, your brother. She. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Teresa's brother passed away. And um, she actually found out probably 15 or 20 minutes before the service started. So that um, completely understandably sent you into a tailspin. But I just wanted to say uh, what a good job you did. Thank you. um, Knowing how difficult it is to receive news like that. And then um, how it's really a hard thing to do no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, but then when you've got a particularly difficult set, um, that was just, uh, you know, that was like your Michael Jordan flu game. Oh, man. It did feel like doing it with the flu, trying not to throw up and do other things at the same time. That was a hard morning. But I had sort of forgotten that that was a circumstance. This is probably not going to sound the way I intended either, but you... Um, I would say of the two of us, I am in my preparation and message delivering, I'm much more interested in creating a structure and sticking to that structure. Yes. You have ideas and you're you're perfectly willing to um, 
you have an end in mind, or you may have a middle, a beginning, a middle, and an end in mind, and you don't care how you get to the beginning, the middle, or the end. I've had, I have usually a thought, and I watch people's faces and flex with what I'm seeing on their faces. So what I <laughs> thought was um, even more challenging was this was actually one of your messages where you had a very specific structure, and you had a lot of different pieces that you were trying to get to and you wanted to do it in a specific order and to allow it to unfold um, in, a, in a very orderly way. And so you know, I to then be this... able to, I, I just want to finish this because okay, I'm trying ahead. to give you a compliment. Thank you. Uh, to then be doing something that's a little different for you and then have to all have to keep all of that in your mind and then have to try to hit your marks, so to speak, um, was just, uh, and you did it. You know, I, know, I mean, that I was the, it was like as clear. I, I thought at one point, I bet you're sitting back there really, really scared of what might pop out. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, I just felt awful. I mean, I just, you know. I, I, know, uh, I know probably our listeners don't really care much about our sermon well, preparation. I, I, but yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I, I think that, you know, people, I, I do think people like knowing how we feel about what we do and. And what it's like. Uh, I mean, I mean, people. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I've people always, are always been fascinated about, it, about how people prepare things. Yeah, myself. And, um. Yeah, I think mostly I felt bad because I I felt like I wanted to, you know, even though it would have been a train wreck. <laughs> oh, so sorry, so sorry, listeners. I just hit my. Microphone. I'll edit that out. I'll start over. Okay. Even though it would have been a train wreck, I wanted to, I had heard your message, we had planned it together, we had, we don't always do it, but we'd sat down and talked it through, and so I thought, you know, of any message that you delivered, you know, I had enough advance warning to get up there and give some rough version of it, so I wanted, you know, I wanted to take that, you know, you know, I was sitting back there just feeling awful that you had to do that under the circumstances and feeling like I could you know, jump on the grenade or whatever and just embarrass myself. <laughs> well, but, thank, and um, you offered and I, I turned you down, but thank you for that. Thank you for the thought. So, yeah, I wasn't, all that to say, I was not, I was not at all scared or concerned about what was going to come out of your mouth. I was just worried about, I was just worried about you. So. Well, thank you. I'll say something else too. The first weekend in January, 2020, we're going to do an Enneagram workshop. And the reason I'm saying that is because in the moment, in all that stress, I used what I knew about my Enneagram number. And in stress, I used it to cope and strategize with what I needed to do. So that is my own personal little commercial for doing work on the Enneagram. And you can go on our website at northstarcommunity.com and sign up for that weekend and we could meet you in person, and we would be thrilled with that. So that would be great. So come visit us first weekend in January. What else have you got to do? It'll be fun. Now, should we do the message? Sure. All right. So um, the message passage that I focused on was really the second chapter in First John. And in particular, I used two verses, John 7 through 9. And I'll get to that in a second, but first I want to tell a story. You don't want me to double-check your math on that? No. Did I say okay. something crazy? No, you just said two verses, verses 7 through 9, which is three verses. Oh. 
<laughs> no, I don't want you to check my math. Uh, but yeah, seven through nine, three verses. Thanks for checking. No problem. We'll get there in a minute, but first I want to tell a story. So uh, the the message you gave the week before was at the 30,000-foot level, and you were sort of setting the stage for First John and also communicating what was in the first chapter. And if I could sum it up, so correct me if you think this isn't a good summary, I believe what you said to us is God pursues us and draws us to him with compassion. And that manifests itself as fellowship with one another, which I do think we talked about in the previous podcast, that it, it doesn't say fellowship with God. You know, God draws us to him with compassion, which manifests as fellowship with God. It says, because God draws us to him with compassion, it is manifested by fellowship with each other. And I, I've always been fascinated by that, uh, startled by it the first time I read it. It's um, a both-and kind of thing, it too. Is. Fellowship with one another is fellowship with God. and yeah, It, it is both-and, but it's, it's not a closed loop of just me and God going off having our spirituality, right? Right, 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 right. Which is the part that fascinated me. So anyway... We had already sort of set the stage to say that fellowship with one another is a thing and that it's really important. And so I started out the message by talking about a place where fellowship with one another should be the easiest thing in the world, and yet we were having a little undercurrent of conflict. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know, we are a church in recovery, and we do recovery things, And one of the things that we do that's one of my favorite things, although I say everything we do is my favorite, and that's also true, but we participate with other people in the field of recovery and host every Thursday night, come rain or come shine, uh, a family education program. And it is not a support group. It's an educational group that we hope is supportive for family and friends who come and learn things about substance use disorder, skill sets, latest research, yada, yada, hootie hoo. Yep. Everything recovery related that we believe will help families support their loved ones who are in recovery or need to get in recovery or whatever, wherever they are in that very long and hard journey. So one of our partners is Tom Bannard and he works at Virginia Commonwealth University's Rams and Recovery Program which is a collegiate recovery program. And when he's here with us on Thursday night, he often says in the introduction that we are trying to get families used to saying that their loved one suffers from what we're calling more modern language, a substance use disorder, as opposed to calling them an alcoholic or an addict or whatever else they might call them. And the families have quite loved this. But when we've had speakers who themselves are in long-term recovery, I noticed a little bit of an attitude when they went to introduce themselves, which was usually right after Tom had given this little speech. So we didn't say to them, hey, be a good role model. Say that that you are in long-term recovery from from substance use disorder. We never asked them to do it, but I think maybe they unconsciously felt a little pressure. And so they'll say, yeah, well... Yeah, they're caught, often caught off guard yeah, and, you know, we're off, sort of unaware. Unaware. And yeah. They're very sweet about it, but it's just funny. I just notice this little thing. They're like, 
Well, you know, I guess we could say I'm in long-term recovery from a substance use disorder. But, you know, what I really say about myself is I'm a drunk. Right? And I feel the families suck in a little air at that point. And there's a little bit of conflict. It's, it, it stands in conflict with what we've tried to teach the families. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to come back to that story. Um, but I, I want to say this before I leave it, because I don't want to leave you in the middle of thinking that somebody's done wrong. I think both people's perspectives are understandable. And in the end, I'm going to make a case for the fact that this is an example of how understanding from the 30,000-foot perspective that we have fellowship with one another can save all of our bacon when it comes to a small conflict, a small but significant conflict like this. Anything you want to say about that before I proceed? Well, um, no, I, so I'm interested to talk about that and how, so I think I should wait because I think that this is the right time for you to hit the pause button, which is what I think you did when you actually delivered the message. So I will, I will jump back in when we're re, when we're revisiting, um, how, what you're about to read impacts how we view that situation. Yeah. And you know, while we're at it, I just want to say again, I love how studying scripture and having a 30,000 foot view can change how we walk in our moccasins on a day-to-day basis. I love that so, so much. And I am really glad we're a church in recovery and that we take time to think through the theology of these things from a 30,000-foot level all the way down to how what we believe impacts how we show up for a meeting. Right. I just love that. Yep. I love it. I think everybody should love it. I hope our listeners just love it. So anyway, back to the scriptures. So the scripture I used was this. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message you heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. So we've got that dark and light metaphor going on in 1 John. And again, we've got an emphasis on living in the light uh, changes how we fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. Now, I said to our crowd that if I were going to circle a little tiny piece of that, I would circle the piece because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines uh, as just the fine tip point of the scripture that sort the piece of scriptures that sort of inspired the rest of the message. Yep. So what I did at that point is I began to say that um, this metaphor of light and dark can be misunderstood and misinterpreted 
And so I really wanted to sort of suss it out and make sure that we were clear. Because there are some normative ways of behaving in the light and normative ways of behaving in the dark that are spelled out in the scriptures. And I listed ones that were just found in the Johns, right? So in the light, we have these normative behaviors. Truth, love, righteousness, eternal life, hope, purity, confidence, and forgiveness. And then in the dark, we have these normative behaviors. Um, hatred, falsehood, fear, and sinfulness. And so I, I started out the message by saying, I think we've really messed up what light and dark is and that we have thought that living in the light is following a set of directions and behaving by these norms. Mm -hmm. And that living in the dark is living by a different set of directions, behaviors, sinfulness, hatred, falsehood, fear, um, and behaving in those ways. And... So can I say it a slightly different way? Please do, because that was pretty confusing. I think that people think that living in the light is being a good little boy or girl and living in the dark is failure to be a good little boy or girl. Right. And yeah. I think um, people have a really, people have no resources for thinking about that any other way because that has been ultimately so much of the um, the message that isn't the message of Christianity. What I mean is like the message that gets sent without anybody saying it. Like people, and, and in fact, the confusing thing about Christianity or about faith, we should say, is that people will often say, you don't have to be good, but then the message just beneath the surface is, you better be good. Right. And I think it's because largely people have been under-resourced in how to think about um, passages like this where the language is dualistic, like you right. can't get away from it. Right. But that doesn't mean that the life of faith is dualistic if you know, um, if you're precise and clear about what it means to live in light versus live in darkness. Right. So in order to be precise, let's, let's break that down. Living in light and living in darkness are not a spectrum of good boy, bad boy. They are two forces that stand in direct opposition to one another. Yeah. They are not perspectives. They're not behaviors. They are actually two forces. There is good, there is evil. There's dark and there's light. And in the light, this is a commitment to a certain way of seeing which is seeking out a life of faithfulness and understanding who God is and how that works. Well, and to use the very specific language of 1 John, when it's talking about living in the light, just to get us away from thinking about this as goodness. Right. Um, it's talking about being open and honest. You know, it, it's talking about owning the ways in which you fall short. Shh, that's my next point. Oh, sorry. You rushed ahead, you bad boy. 
Okay, so let's just get these two frameworks. So living in the light is a commitment to the certain way of seeing. It gives us a direction. It's not about specific directions for being a good boy. Right. Darkness is hostility toward God. Yep. And that's that's just clearly a very different thing than being someone who misbehaves. Yeah, and I, I think that's the piece that people, well, I think people struggle with all of it uh, for various reasons, but I think that people have been trained to think that if they don't drop enough money in the offering plate, that they're being hostile to God. Or pray enough. Or if they don't, if, if they miss a Sunday. Right. Or if they, you know, people have been trained to think inappropriately about what it means to be hostile to God. I mean, hostility towards God is like intentionally undermining God's work of trying to better his creation, including his people. Right. So it's intentionally being hostile towards God's work of wanting his kingdom to come. Yep. And you stand in opposition to that, and you're saying, I'm against it, right? That's darkness. And so when we have these two uh, different opposing forces, they, they're not a Venn diagram. They don't overlap. You know, it's not like Tuesday so, I was good. Let's hit the pause button on that because yeah. I think you said that in the message, and I uh, I could be wrong, but I'm not sure people got it because what you're saying is is that if you're a person who's committed to living in the light, if you're committed to that kind of self-reflection and self-honesty, then you don't overlap with the darkness. You do not overlap with the darkness. And that's the piece that I'm not sure. Like I knew what I knew what you were saying, but I think it I think it came and went too fast. Okay. And it was, and I'm not saying it was your fault or that it was a bad. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to imply any fault of yours. Um, I think that people need to sit with the fact that you can be a person of faith who has failures and character defects and not be overlapping with darkness. Right. Because the darkness described here is a specific thing. It's not. The general, it's not a general kind of quote-unquote sin. Right. Um, darkness and sin are not equivalent terms. Right. So um, falling short does not make one live in darkness. So you're not, you're not standing on the threshold of light and dark, and when you, when you step in the wrong direction, you're in darkness, and then you have to turn around and get back to light. No, you can quote-unquote sin or live in sin or live independently of God and yet still be in the light because you're committed to that way of seeing that involves uh, that that fellowship with with others which involves the intimacy and the and the honesty about who you are and that kind of thing yeah and the beautiful thing about first John is it gives us very specific indicators that we're living in the light and I described it as is this a person who lives in the light, has the self-awareness, the capacity, and the willingness to confess things. Yep. Now, they don't make stuff up, but they confess things that are true. And I think last weekend, you made a really good point because you sort of added on to this. You said people who live in the light are willing to confess things that they would prefer no one else knew. They bring their shame to the table for discussion. 
things that they're ashamed of, which I thought was really good. Yeah. I think I said it um, more colloquially when I said, yeah, people who live in the light say things like, I messed up. (laughs) And they are able to say, I messed up, and how that happened, specifically what the mess up is. And that when you live in the light, based on your committed way of seeing, you know that there's provision for this, which Mm -hmm. we see, I mean, I don't think you see a better uh, systematic way of spelling that out than the way we learn how to make amends in the 12 steps. Yep. Um, And so in the light, what we're doing then is we're on this journey of being able to have fellowship with one another, right? Mm Because you're not confessing into a vacuum where you have the awareness to say, I messed up, and you have a community that has the capacity to receive your confession without treating you any differently in response, which you have a whole message on that, so I won't steal your thunder because I think that'll be the podcast we do next. But that's living in the light. Living in the darkness, this opposition to God, also looks a particular way. And this is a person who who lacks the willingness and or capacity. I don't want to judge. So the willingness or the capacity to confess and maybe even to recognize that they have messed up. That's living in the darkness. Somebody in the darkness might say, well, this is who I am. Deal with it. Um, a, a person who's openly hostile towards God is not committed to this certain way of seeing, of leaning into and working hard to have fellowship with one another. They're not committed to this uh, process of acknowledgement that sometimes they make it hard to be in fellowship with them. They're not interested in working on the skill sets that enable them to treat somebody with compassion even when they mess up. And so that's what it means to be hostile towards God. You don't have to be burning down churches. You're just not participating in the building of the kingdom of God because you refuse to be committed to a certain way of seeing that requires you to be a person who wrestles with your own humanity. Um, I would even, I think I would even take it a little bit further to say that, or at least I would try to draw out a little, a little piece of that a little more, which is that, um, you know, it's like that description almost made it sound like it would be somebody who was kind of just not participating in the kingdom. But like it's 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 it would be living in such a way as to undermine the work of the kingdom. Yeah. So like if the work of the kingdom was creating a place that was defined by its forgiveness, grace, mercy, um, inclusion, honesty, honesty. Um, accountability, confession. Um, you know, if it was defined by the, by such things, then you would be trying to, 
you you would be living in such a way as to be actively hostily unmerciful, right? Yeah. Um, we know people like that. Yeah. Right. And I, and I don't just mean like you have a moment where you're not merciful. Right. Right. I mean like you have a lifestyle. Right. Wherein you are making you are taking the capacity to thrive off the table for other people. Yes. Now that's the best. That's the best. You know, we really ought to record that phrase somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you are take you are actively taking off the capacity you're actively taking the capacity to thrive off the table for somebody else. Yep. That's it. That that's it right there. We ought to put that down. We ought to do more work around that phrase because that's a keeper. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Now, let's go back to the original story that was the conflict. Right? You have the family members who are so thrilled that we're not calling the people they love bad names anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're very happy. But then you've got these wonderful, wonderful human beings who, through a hard-fought battle— are in long-term recovery, and if they're speaking on Thursday night, they're people who are giving back to the community um, and supporting the work of recovery for others, definitely living in the light, right? And in that light-filled space, they are not ashamed to confess that they are whatever they call whatever name they call themselves drunks addicts alcoholics because for them that's a hard fought victory of acknowledgement and in long term recovery they've even come to find a tribe of people their mutual aid societies aa na oa saa etc who OA. have overeaters anonymous oh <laughs> they have a whole group of people who eat as many Cheetos as you eat. Cheez-Its. <laughs> Cheez-Its. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, um, that's you know, they're, they're, it, it's part of their work to, to name their stuff. And they do it without shame, blame, or condemnation. That is a very different experience than the family members have been given the opportunity to feel about that. So um, what I was suggesting to everybody is that if you, if you walk in the light, when you go into a room where there's conflict like that, you have enough curiosity and kindness and willingness to explore those things, and you come to see that there's something light-filled and beautiful about both perspectives. Now, you said you wanted to say something more about that, so go. What you got? Um, well, I think I, I probably did it already okay. in the prior section. Um, and I think probably you, you covered kind of whatever was hanging in the balance there, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea that, um, I, I like the idea that we can make room for both perspectives and to recognize the importance of each other's concerns. Yeah. Like we want people to honor and respect our loved ones and we want to honor and respect like the identity that you've chosen that and the and acknowledging that you're practicing the difficult self-reflection by self-identifying right in a certain way that this is 
that both efforts are about a commitment to the light. Right. Um, and it's resulted in a very, very minor conflict, you know, but it's one that it's the kind of conflict that results from from two groups who are both pursuing the light. And yes. I think that's a that's a good you know, that's a that's the right kind of conflict to have. And I loved I loved the I loved the example because I felt also should we just say like nobody's like distraught about this like this oh, really is even, like this really is like such slide. a minor thing yeah. uh, I don't want to um, I don't want anybody to think there's like problems like nobody nobody is having any kind of legitimate relational problems over this or struggling to come to group over it it's not no. a, it's not in the no. slightest bit a big deal it's no. just a really good example of how you can have conflict and yet still be in the light yeah exactly yeah and I love the example because it also, no one loved anybody less for being on different sides, right? Right. Um, and so to me, that, that is, um, is illustrative of what it means to live in the light. Living in the light doesn't mean you take a lot of Prozac, you know, and that you're a zombie. It, you can have conflict in the light. You can mess up in the light. You can be confused in the light. Yep. But there's certain rails that you don't go beyond because of your commitment to a certain way of seeing. And and when I remember that, I just get excited about living life. Yep. Um, so yeah, this was a message that really meant a lot to me personally. Yes. Yes, as it should. All right. Well, we are ending on a very serious note, and uh, and that's a good thing. You can end on a serious note. Um, Aziz Ansari ended his latest uh, stand-up special on Netflix on a serious note. Really? Very serious. Wow. I'm gonna have to watch it. I can't I think even you believe should. it. Regardless of how you feel about him, I think it. I think it's worth taking in. Uh, anyway. However, now that you've made a recommendation, I'd like to make a recommendation. Oh, yeah. And you know what? We should we should make that a weekly feature. Like oh, we our, so our recommendations for the week. And it doesn't have to be related to the podcast at all. So I'd like to make a recommendation. Please make a recommendation. Big Little Lies. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. It's not making my list, but. It, it made my list. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the first season a lot. Um, Did you watch other? the second season? No, uh, we've started, but I'm having a hard time with it. But that's okay. I, I, just because I'm having, look, people can love each other and like different things. I'm, I'm. We're still living in the light, yeah, baby. It's all good. Um, any other recommendations? No, that's it for me. That's what I'm currently obsessed with: Big Little Lies. And is it the season finale? Coming up, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many there are because we're behind. We started. I don't think there are that many sessions. So yeah, (laughs) sessions. Um, yeah, that's good. I'm trying to think if I have any other, uh, any other recommendations for our recommendation corner. We're gonna have to really put more effort and thought into this. Yeah, maybe we'll make this like a formal thing next time, and we'll plan it, and we'll have some ideas in mind. Okay, cool. But uh, one of the things I would recommend, if you are uh, ever 
uh, doing any online uh, content creation or podcasting of your own and you need music, I would recommend Blue Dot Sessions. Now they, that was smooth right yeah, there. Thank right you. There. Thank you. You're welcome. Host, welcome. Those are my host skills. Yeah. Uh, you can find Blue Dot Sessions on the web at sessions.blue. Uh, we are North Star Community. We're located in Richmond, Virginia. You can find us on the web at northstarcommunity.com or you can check out uh, leadtheway.org. Leadthewayrva.org. Great. That's I got one it of wrong. Our... She gave me a face and I had to correct myself. <laughs> That's one of our new ventures and we're really excited about it. So again, leadthewayrva.org. Org. Great. Yep. All right. It's been fun, peeps. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.